She imagines losing Jean-Marc that way someday, never knowing, reduced to imagining anything and everything. She could not even kill herself because suicide would be a betrayal, a refusal to wait, a loss of patience. She would be condemned to live until the end of her days in unrelenting horror. Two. She went up to her room, fell asleep with difficulty, and woke in the middle of the night after a long dream. It was populated exclusively by figures from her past, her mother, long dead, and mainly her former husband. She had not seen him for years, and he looked different, as if the director of the dream had made a bad casting choice. He was there with his overbearing, energetic sister, and with his new wife. Chantal had never seen her. Nonetheless, in the dream, she had no doubt about her identity. At the end, he made Chantal some vague erotic propositions, and his new wife kissed her hard on the mouth and tried to slip her tongue between Chantal's lips. Tongues licking each other had always disgusted her. In fact, that kiss was what woke her up. Her discomfort from the dream was so extreme, she went to some effort to figure out the reason for it. What troubled her so, she thinks, is the dream's effect of nullifying the present. For she is passionately attached to her present. Nothing in the world would induce her to trade it for the past or the future. That is why she dislikes dreams. They impose an unacceptable equivalence among the various periods of the same life, a leveling contemporaneity of everything a person has ever experienced. They discredit the present by denying it its privileged status. As in that night's dream, it obliterated a whole chunk of her life. Jean-Marc, their shared apartment, all the years they've spent together. In its place, the past came lumbering in people she broke off with long ago and who tried to capture her in the net of a banal sexual seduction. She felt on her mouth the wet lips of a woman, not an ugly woman, the dream's director had been fairly demanding in his choice of actress, and the sensation was so disagreeable that in the middle of the night she went to the bathroom to gargle and wash out her mouth for a long time. Three. F. was a very old friend of Jean-Marc's. They had known each other since high school. They had the same opinions, they got along well, and they stayed in touch until the day, several years back, when Jean-Marc suddenly and definitively turned against him and stopped seeing him. When he learned that F. was very ill in a hospital in Brussels, he had no wish to visit him, but Chantal insisted he go. The sight of the old friend was shattering. He still remembered him as he had been in high school, a delicate boy, always perfectly turned out, endowed with a natural refinement besides which Jean-Marc felt like a rhinoceros. The subtle, effeminate features that used to make F. look younger than his age now made him look older. His face seemed grotesquely small, shriveled, wrinkled, like the mummified head of an Egyptian princess dead for four thousand years. Jean-Marc looked at his arms. One was immobilized, 
with a needle slipped into the vein. The other was gesturing broadly to emphasize his words. In the past, looking at him gesticulate, Jean-Marc always had the impression that in relation to his little body, F's arms were littler still, utterly minuscule, the arms of a marionette. The impression was even stronger that day, because his baby gestures were so ill-suited to the gravity of his talk. F was describing the coma that had lasted several days before the doctors brought him back to life. You know all those accounts by people who've survived death? The tunnel with the light at the end of it? The beauty of the beyond drawing them on? Well, I swear to you, there's no light. And what's worse, no unconsciousness. You know everything. You hear everything. But they, the doctors, don't realize it. And they say everything.